podcast episode 19 of our book review series we're back this week with something a little more dense a little lengthier and uh distinctly more gothic than what we had last yep. week ryan yep gothic victorian whatever you want to call it uh we are back we can't escape it no, I think, well, in this case, it was probably Victor- written around then, Victorian era, but this has definitely got the gothic tropes just dripping all over it. Um, we'll get into that. The book we have this week is a short story, or technically a novella. Um, we're not the ones to sort of legislate on what makes a short story or a novella. I think it's word count. Um, but this is Olala. That's how I'm pronouncing it. Yeah, that's uh, that's how, that's how I was saying it, too, in my mind. Olala. Yeah, fun to say. Don't know if it's as fun to read. We'll find out shortly when we get into some reviews. But it's by mm. Robert Louis Stevenson, the Scottish writer of Treasure Island and Jekyll and Hyde fame. I think. I mean, that's what I know him from. Yeah, yeah. I um, I'm just gonna dive right in. I actually, th- I think this was the first first volume that I had to like. I just I needed to look up the Wikipedia for it like five probably like five to ten pages in uh just because it was like a really it's like a really slow start for me but um once i kind of looked it up and sort of like read ahead um you know spoiler alerts and all that good stuff uh, i actually enjoyed it quite a bit more but yeah this dude he's a he's a pretty um pretty prolific guy and um like treasure island and yeah dr jekyll and mr hyde um, he has a ton of, ton of good work. So the writing was good. It was just like, I don't know. It was really slow to start for me. Really, really difficult to get through like those first like 10, 15 pages. Yeah. I think that's a, a decent introduction to it anyway. It's certainly has a, a slow going and a dense beginning is, I mean, most literature at this point, if you're reading something over a hundred years old, you'd be hard pressed to find something that has a pace that we'd become accustomed to. Right. It's right. Pretty rare. Yeah, uh, yeah. This falls in line with that. Um, I think compared to its length, it gets going quickly enough. It begins in a conversation, and then pretty much immediately the characters just jumping along. But yeah, yeah no, it, it definitely takes. I mean, really, it's it's a stylistic adjustment. It's kind of whenever you go back and read any old prose, that's just kind of your brain has to flip a switch, or you have to sort of approach it a little differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think you know once you once you kind of get your mind wrapped around what's going on once you're kind of brought up to speed with, with what's happening in the story. I think stylistically and like the way it was written is really, really nicely done given, you know, that it's, I don't know, hundred, 200 years old. Yeah, definitely. And it's, I mean, these are, these are literary styles and moments that really luxuriated in things and really kind of leaned into I don't know, decadence in the description and everything. So you definitely yeah. find yourself in paragraphs here where you think, wow, they've really been describing this uh, armoire for the last 30 lines or the last two pages. <laughs> yeah, what was uh, what was that one that we were reading? Was it the Keats where it was just so 
stylist like that's that was basically like the hill that he like died on was like just describing everything in like the greatest detail keats was that plus the rhyming that i mean at least i think we concur oh yeah the, just unlistenable yeah, or unbearable, unbearable. <laughs> yeah that, but he also sort of did sort of lean into the and really just enjoy it seemed describing the mundane in great detail. yeah Sort yeah, of like, there was a realism period too in American literature and probably other cultures, but that had similar qualities. This is, um, well, this is a gothic, which means that also you also get a lot of decay and a lot of like decrepit people and places. I think for me, as a short review, as an introductory review, I think it's for the page count, it's actually a decent introduction. Uh, a lot of the most famous Victorian gothic works are novels, and so this is kind of bite sized, I think. If you read something like this and you enjoy the style, this is a good introduction. I felt it was like, okay, yeah, this will give you a sense of the style places yeah. you might in, in such literature. The people will profoundly disappoint, I think, are the vampire folks. Because on the back cover, it's filled <laughs> as a, and I think this would get into, we'll get into this later, actually. This might be yeah. a battle for actual scholars to make in scholarship. It may be a vampire story, uh, debatably. I don't know. Um you know, it has all the other qualities of kind of gothic stuff. It's hyperbolic in spots. It's sentimental. And, yep. you know, it reads like 18th century or 19th century literature, which, yeah. you know, it gives you a good sense of what to expect. But I think if you're looking for like the uh, progenitor of vampire lit, I don't think this is going to be the one or I don't think it will intrigue you too much. Um, but, I, you know, you never know. Yeah, it, it kind of like... Um... Well, that's how it's built. Like the little summary on the back, it's a chilling Victorian Gothic novella about decaying aristocracy, vampir- vampirism, and tormented love. That was, I guess that's why I was so, I was kind of searching in like the first five, and I, you know, I guess I, I might have been a little impatient, but like that summary, yes, it totally makes sense, and I think it applies, but if if you're like me, um, and you're just kind of going in blind, it is, it reads a lot different than what some people might consider like a true, like, oh, it's like a, that's a vampire story. It's like, it is, but also like it isn't. It kind of dances around um, that a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was an interesting one. It certainly deals with some questions of sort of vampirism legacy family that you maybe would expect, though it just approaches them differently than how a modern vampire story would do that. Right. Um, it, like it has elements of romance, for example, in a, in a, I found a pretty absurd way and fashion, but it does mm-hmm. have those things. It's just, you know, it's just presented in a cultural context that is lost. I think, I mean, the quotes I pulled, if we want to get into quotes, are far more about essentially you know social groupings ancestry like race essentially and i think in this case i mean again depending on how you interpret a few key scenes race could mean not a human like a different type of being even right Uh, that's where this gets complicated and again where it becomes kind of a matter for perhaps you know experts to debate that i think for a lay person i don't know how you would interpret some lines i pulled one on 25 that when the main character is kind of in this um, worn out mansion on the top of a mountain, that's where he's visiting. He's like relaxing there. Yeah, the residencia. 
Yeah, he sees all these people on portraits on the walls, and he uh, describes it as a singular look of unity in the common features and common bearing of all these painted generations on the walls of the residencia. The miracle started out and looked me in the face. I stood and read my own features a long while, tracing out on either hand the filaments of descent and the bonds that knit me with my family. And so he spends a lot of the time pondering how these people trapped on, well, not really trapped there. They seem, you know, like they were wealthy aristocrats, but these people that are just of this lineage kind of doomed and trapped atop this mountain. That's a very Gothic trope also, like people who are fading away or losing their life or losing their well-being. That's, you know, that's like classic Gothic literature stuff. But yeah, it's a lot more about that and what you owe to genetics almost than other aspects. Yeah, there's like a, there's an interesting like ancestral kind of thing because like a lot of those, I think that's kind of where it starts off once he gets to the house is there's that there's that portrait of that woman that kind of like grips him, like kind of like chills him to like his core where it's kind of like, he's trying to figure out like, is this person like, I haven't seen them here. They might be hundreds of years old. This woman might be alive. Like, but also, you know, tracing that to, there's only three people who live in this, the, I'm going to keep calling it the residencia because I really like that aspect of it. Um, It's the mother and then, uh, her two two kids, and I think that that's kind of like where it kind of picks up in the beginning, where he's kind of you know he's kind of wondering like how did this house come to be? You know, this it's all it's dusty, it's old, it's decrepit. Like these people, I think he even goes so far as to say like after like years of inbreeding, like they're not very intelligent, or at least like the the son is kind of like a. I don't know, just kind of like a simpleton. <laughs> but well, he uh, yeah, the son to an animal, like directly to an animal. Yeah, I actually pulled. Um, <laughs> there's there was one quote that I pulled in the beginning. It's on page six, um, and I think that he's talking. I think because he kind of he gets taken up to the house by that. Um, I think he calls him like a mul- muleteer or something, like a dude who like basically like commands like a donkey cart but i think he's talking about the son uh, like a yeah i think he's talking about philippe or felipe the uh the son he said uh, the lad was but a child in intellect his mind was like his body active and swift but stunted in development and i began from that time forth to regard him with a measure of pity and to listen at first with indulgence and at last even with pleasure to his disjointed babble yeah Oh wait, nope, that's not the. Uh, oh yeah, no, that is Philippe. But it, yeah, he kind of he kind of beats around the bush a little bit um, when he's talking about like how the <laughs> how like the family has just fallen into like kind of shambles, very similar to the house that he's staying in. Right, right. Yeah, I think the the family dynamic is what to what kind of keeps you in the story, keeps you gripped, and certainly the. There's, there's the right moments of tension that the author kind of plays on and builds up. Yeah, yeah. There were a few moments, I, I guess, I suppose a, a nitpicky kind of plot analysis person would find predictable, I suppose. Um, 
the way that certain characters and conflicts are played up. But no, I think, yeah, the, his interactions with the family are fascinating. Philippe, too, he he calls him a vermin on page 13. That was the quote I had pulled, which I think is where it raised my sensitivity to just what this book would be examining and criticizing because, and I think you're right, a lot of it is attributed to the, the family's like physical decay, their inbreeding. That's kind of what they attribute it to, I suppose, yeah. is that they don't. They don't go out into the world and they don't mix. They want to stay yeah. they want to keep their family line pure in some way. Uh, and he right. criticizes Felipe for like cruelly killing a squirrel or attacking a squirrel. And he calls him not a man, but a vermin that he's, you know, like less than a, less than a person that he can't control his instincts, which yeah. is a classic. I mean, frankly, that, that kind of criticism is often leveraged and that imagery is often leveraged in a much different way than just because of inbreeding it it has darker connotations if you just look at other moments in history when it's like hey when has one group of people compared another group to animals it's almost never good (laughs) Uh, which is why in this case it just i don't know it raised my uh attention just to think like i wonder what's this book gonna get into because it it is a, a scottish main character in spain and so at first i thought is it going to be about like the continent? Is it going to be about yeah. the, the history yeah. of Spain? But I don't. It never really fully comes across that way. Like there's no, there's not really any Spanish in it except for a couple words. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Padre and Residency. Like the, yeah, that's that was one thing that they never really got into. And you don't, you don't even like view the family he's staying with, or even the narrator is like Scottish or Spanish. It's kind of like a, it's like timeless and or not timeless, but like um. Like they they don't really attribute it doesn't become like a like a race thing or like a like a regional thing it's it just seems like it's more like you said it's kind of just like a gothic kind of trope like um like these people are just like for some reason or another i mean reasons you learn later on in the story but they're just yeah just like closed off from like the outside world where I just wondered, there were certain moments um, in the in the story where I thought, again, a person of some scholarship, I wonder what they've they've kind of picked apart at with this narrative. Because I agree, I think as a modern reader, you're not going to pick at, you're not going to pick anything out of this and go, "Wow, he just it really thinks that Spain is just a barbarous place with like animal people." It just doesn't. Yeah. It, it kind of leaves it lie. There, there. It just yeah. doesn't dominate the narrative. But there's so many subtle things. I couldn't help but wonder, for example, the like matriarch of this family, the uh, older woman, I even forget her name, but she, all she does is sleep all day, it seems, and just kind of lie around and not attempt anything and just sort of luxuriate in her having nothing to do, which, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't, again, I don't know how to quite read that. And he calls her the senora as a title. There's not, but I just don't find any direct. I don't know. There wasn't anything direct enough to latch onto other than this entire family line is ending because they refuse to, I don't know, engage with the, with anyone else. Right. Yeah. And that, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing because it's like the first person he really interacts with, or I don't know, maybe it's like kind of at the same time when he gets to know uh, Felipe or Philippe, but he kind of like marvels at the, (laughs) <laughs> the senora's like uh ability to just like do nothing like all day long yeah which uh, yeah <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> yeah, I I pulled the quote. I think it's on yeah page seventeen where he's um he's just kind of like there's there's times when he just like sits in the courtyard they don't do anything and you don't really get a sense of like how long he's been there or how long he plans on staying because I think he's just like recovering at this house but he uh, there's just a lot of sitting around and he gets to like observe this older woman um and I I pulled this in this little one sentence on 17 he's just like marveling at her he said a look more blankly stupid I have never met uh it's, it's just like he just, yeah, he's just sort of like just marveling at how like simple and kind of like withdrawn, but uh, but she's also like engaged somewhat. Like he he starts talking about how like they actually kind of strike up like a rapport and they have like a little thing going for a while where it's like they would talk or like not even talk, but they would just kind of like sit with each other for a while, which I thought like that was that was kind of an interesting part. Um, right. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, like the character development I thought was like pretty interesting or like lack thereof, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I think before we switch to any other sections, I do have one more quote I want to read that on an element of the story that is maybe the dominant part of the story we have not we haven't even addressed yet which is yeah. that he yeah he falls enchanted uh enchanted lee i guess in love with the the daughter of the of the senora yeah i think the if you want a great quote for 2019 of just some really outlandish um dude behavior towards this uh young woman when he so I, it's just an incredible quote on 33 i'm going to read a couple sentences uh, he com- when he finally meets her. So to clarify, and we don't want to do full what we would call spoilers on the on this pod. Right. I just got to give a couple plot things. Right. He knows that she's around, but he never sees her. And then yep. he wanders into a part of the house that he doesn't acknowledge or the the residencia, and it yeah. turns out to be her room. And he like accidentally le- reads four lines of her poetry that she's been writing. Yeah. Literally four lines, but this is what he says after when he first sees her. He says it was a lovely body that she had, but the uh, the, but the inmate, the soul, was more than worthy of that lodging. Granted, he's never spoken to her, and he just read four lines of her poetry. (laughs) That's it, right? And then he continues, (laughs) "Should I leave this incomparable flower to wither unseen on these rough mountains? Should I despise the great gift offered me in the eloquent silence of her eyes? Here was a soul (laughs) inured. Should I not burst its prison? All side considerations fell off from me. Were that were she the child of Herod? I swore I should make her mine, which." Oh God! The incredible, yeah, yeah uh, like that's, the audacity yeah, of, that, yeah. of that kind of level of douchebaggery <laughs> is pretty yeah. stunning. It's like staggering to read that and just remember that there were times when this felt that kind of sentiment seemed sincere. I think reading yeah. that, you can't help but just sit back and laugh at it. You kind of have to buy in, not to buy into the, the sentiments authentic, but you have to just sort of think, okay, this is a universe where that that's series of sentences make sense and then yeah in the context yeah in the context but hearing you sort of reread it yeah you just say like man what an asshole like what it what an idiot yeah i love the the expression is such a such a rocking contradiction to say 
I despise the great gift offered me in the eloquent silence of her eyes. The eloquent <laughs> silence is a hell of a, that's a hell of a, um, not paradox. What's it called when they're right next to each other? Words that contradict like, each uh, other. Oh Lord. Like an oxymoron. Yeah, there you go. I was like literary, yay, literary terms, uh, rhetoric. Yeah, that's like such an absurd oxymoron. And that's like, that's like Harvey Weinstein level date rape stuff 101, like eloquent yeah, silence. Creepy. I mean, that silence is consent stuff, like just from 200 years ago or what, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I just was, yeah, 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 I yeah. remember reading it thinking, this is meant to be. And then I guess, you know, I, again, this is a small spoiler, but her first words to him, which are on 36 and seven were, were oh, yeah, incredible. Cause the first yeah. thing she says to him is you will go away today. <laughs> yes. She just orders him <laughs> to leave. Uh, when he yeah. finally works up the courage to speak with her. Uh, yeah. I, thought that, I thought that was pretty great. The sad thing is without saying exactly the occurrences of the story. Um, I don't think that that nice little phrase by her actually pays off much in the end but anyway yeah i think that his his attraction to her is certainly sold in the story in that he describes it constantly but is not sold in the logic of any romances you or i would understand it i think maybe i'm projecting yeah yeah no i i totally agree and i i think in the context when you when you're in the middle of it and you're sort of putting yourself in this dude's place, like stuck at this house. You haven't seen anybody. You're, you know, you're living with a bunch of like strange people, like simple people. And then you, you know, you happen to like stumble upon like at least like what seems to be like a little bit of like someone with intellect. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think that kind of like threw him off. And I think it kind of, yeah, it, he's he struck up the tone where he's like, man, do I just like get her out of here? Like, do we like run away together? Do I like break her out of this like yeah. crazy old house? And he kind of like deliberates, he sees her and then he doesn't see her for a few days. And then he like, he'll, he'll, like they pass each other and they just like look, like look into each other's eyes a few times. But yeah, I, I circled the same quote on 37. It's, she's just like, no, you will go away. Like right now, you got to go. Yeah, which I think I'll leave up to the the hardcore vampire fans out there if they read this. I'll let them determine if the the sort of I don't know more fantasy like conflicts pay off. But I think that the some of the descriptions and some of the romantic components in this story, eh, they have they have some payoff to them. Um, they have you know, there's there's some intriguing descriptions, but again, like we I just read to hopefully illustrate some of it just comes across as just almost comically absurd. So you know prepare yourself if you're diving in. Um, did you have any other quotes before we move on? Um, yeah, I had one that I thought, uh, kind of like played into that sort of like weird, um, like tension between them. And I, I, I like this because it was like, he, this was like the decision that he made, like to actually do something because, uh, again, he saw it, (laughs) He just saw it in her eyes. But on 34, it was uh, said, it should no longer lie under the bonds of silence, a dumb thing living by the eye only like the love of beasts, but should now be put on the spirit and enter upon the joys of the complete human intimacy. I like that one. It's like he's, he's, he's taking it to the next level. 
it's a quote that adds good thematic layers too, because it it brings up again that he thinks that the senses are are for the beast, and that he wants his love to be affirmed, you know, emotionally or rationally or something. You know, he doesn't he just doesn't want to look with his eyes. He wants some kind of other intimacy. It's the, yeah. again, that like condemnation that there are these things that people have and things that beasts do, which you know again there if this were a book club uh, analysis episode we would probably have to fully go in, but we dive in. Just, yeah, just you know as a recommendation, just that's the themes it's playing with. So again, if that intrigues you, this book has it. Um, do you want to start yeah. us on the author to author this week? This is when we compare last week's reading to this week's, try and find connections and whatnot. Yeah. Um... Two different love stories. I thought, you know, this one read more, at least to me, like what you might think a classic, even though like there's not a whole lot of like actual love or loving happening between like any of the characters. I don't know. I thought this was kind of one of those like, it's more of like a classic love story. Uh, but I don't know, man. Right? With <laughs> classic, but with vampires, yeah, very, very 2019, uh, very 1890, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know, I thought the narrator could have definitely used a little bit of uh, what was it, Aphrodite or uh, like some, some Cupid action, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I don't know, I thought Apollonius, uh, yeah, he could he could probably get down with some stuff in here. Maybe not the vampires, but uh, he was writing about wilder shit than uh, maybe like one a bloodsucker or two. So, flaming uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 man. So, I don't, yeah, this was a, this was an interesting one. Um, a lot of comparisons, like thematically, I I, I guess, but uh, they they felt different, but they also felt similar. If that you know, if that does anything for you, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I I personally found them to be the most similar, pretty much across the board, both in terms really? of just what the what the style, and of course that this week's was a lot more indulgent and just has a richer kind of text to have to unpack. But I think they're they both deal with similar ideas, and they're both playing with love stories at the at the core of them. Um, yeah. I think yeah, the the Jason and Medea from the Golden Fleece from the um, what is that Argonauts something Argonautica? I think. Yeah, but, Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, um, that I think had a more kind of straightforward narrative, and the story moves a bit quicker. But I think yeah, I mean at the core of them are these sort of over the top, oh my goodness, you know, heart wrenching kinds of romances, love story kind of thing. And yeah, so that, that kind of drives both of them. I I thought that maybe he would find this version, he being last week's Apollonius, the author, I think he would find this kind of inversion of his story intriguing. And I, I couldn't help but wonder or think if I would have found Olala's romance to be just a tinge more digestible or bearable if it had some kind of story reason other than yeah. <laughs> more lines of her poetry and now my life will never be the same. We should be yeah. Lines now that I think back to quotes because it, I just remember reading them thinking, oh, okay, that's a little bland. I wonder if that'll matter. And then, of course, yeah, no, the poetry uh, sucked. <laughs> yeah, my life is forever altered. I can never look upon her or any of this earth ever again the same. Um, yeah, least, I've got it. Medea, it's like, oh, she was shot by Cupid's arrow, a, a demigod or a god. Of course, she oh, yeah, control. Of course, she can't hold herself back. 
you know, she's completely undone by a god. For sure. Uh, there's there's uh, otherworldly powers uh, at work here, but I've got it pulled up on 26. Let me know if you would feel the same way as uh, this dude did. The poem reads, Pleasure approached with pain and shame. Grief with a wreath of lilies came. Pleasure showed the lovely sun. Jesu dear, how sweet it shone. Grief with her worn hand pointed on. Jesu dear, to thee. See, to me, does that do where, any, does that do anything for you? <laughs> well, it, it does a lot for me in terms of narrative cohesion and like theme and symbol, and I because right. if, the ending of the story ties in with that perfectly. And I think it, it gets into a lot of thematic stuff with the religion that we didn't even touch on because, you know, we're trying to be keep the show a little bit brief around 30. But, yeah, I think if we yeah. were, again, completely analyzing this, you could not ignore the religious elements, especially with the last few paragraphs of the story and where things end. And so I think yep. her devotion to I'm assuming, by the way, that means G, that's a reference to Jesus. That's my. Yeah. Yeah. That big jump that they just cut the S off and it's some kind of different way to phrase Jesus's name. For sure. as, long, as long as it is, then the story really does click together in the end. Um, yeah. And, and maybe, I mean, maybe you read the protagonist then as some kind of, I don't know, he's like an anti-religious savior figure. You know, he's yeah, trying to they, like... They kind of touch on... Yeah, they kind of touch on that in the end when he's like talking to that, like uh, the priest dude, like in town and they're, the guy's like, oh yeah, like you're not a religious man, like blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, yeah, now I can see how that kind of like, you know, it relates... It relates more directly, but like, yeah, I don't know, man. I'll, I would take poetry. Cupid's arrow. I mean, come yeah. on. We, we've got poets these days like Nicki Minaj slinging lines. You're telling me this is going to get my attention? I think not. Yeah. The poet laureate of uh, yeah. 2019, Cardi yeah. B. Give me the, you know? give me hot like, girl summer. You know, the talk about poetry. Yeah. Yeah. Meg the Stallion. Megan the Stallion. I saw that music video today. Did you watch that? They finally put out a music video for that song, even though it's like maybe a couple weeks too late. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I can already kind of see, or I can visualize uh, what it looks like. That's like the, um, <laughs> really, really? Well, actually, I like how we took a hard pivot. To uh, Megan Thee Stallion and Hot Girl Summer 2019. We're trying to find poetry that would so entice us to try and kidnap someone upon first hearing it. I just need, what is is the modern equivalent of hearing four lines, bars, as it were, from someone and being being so smitten? I I don't know if such a person or song exists. I don't know. It's not Meg Thee Stallion. Who's it going to be? I don't. Oh man, yeah. Maybe if it's not like if it's not uh, if it's not like bars from that song or even others. Uh, I don't know. I I I I couldn't tell you. Like the hot girl summer yeah. thing is sort is definitely taken over. Yeah. Riding the boat or driving the boat or whatever you want to say. Uh, mm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe th- <laughs> that does apply. I guess in two thousand nineteen, super super relevant right. uh I, I have to watch this video now uh not right now but i i have to watch it tonight all i'll say um, is that at least when i i distinctly have this memory that when Nicki minaj released her music video for the when she did the she used the the track for the anaconda song 
what I don't even know yeah. the name of the original. What's that original song? The Anaconda. I have no idea. You know the one though. It's like oh, Sir Mix a Lot uh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big butts. I like big yeah, butts. There we go. Yeah. And she used that same kind of the same bass track, but then kind of chopped it up. And you know, this is just what rap does. They remix and kind of re- yeah. reorder things. What was her song that made the same play on words and she made this music video in the jungle or whatever? Do you remember this? Um, man, I'm not. Ah, no, I don't find the video because it will speak for itself. I just remember I was at a friend's house. I was at a party, but not a rowdy college put that on and everyone's twerking party. It was like, you know, people are like 30 ish and it's just like we're having a good time. And I remember it's respectable. Yeah. And I just remember because I was the one who brought it up because I'd watched it earlier that day and had never felt older or just more confused or disconnected being like shit we're putting this on tvs now like this is pretty wild (laughs) i didn't like it's i you know i'm not one to moral police or uh the culture but i just was like holy shit okay this is like a thing people can watch like a 10 year old on their ipads like putting this on like all right (laughs) i guess i think that's what it is yeah Uh, yeah but i think the party just stopped i just remember distinctly everyone was like holy shit who made this like this is a, a formal this is like a thing we have to know about exists now uh yeah, yeah like this is uh overall. so what are you gonna do i suppose yeah and the, the, i think the only other one that i've i've seen that's been similar is that like cardi b money video where it was just like uh it's just like just tons of strippers act like you know like real nudity like video video music videos have taken a serious turn they really have yeah well this one fits in line <laughs> it's, mm. it's a good it's a nice companion piece to those two i think you know mm, watch yeah. uh watch it maybe not at your place of work i guess depends on where you work yeah yeah i mean yeah i'm, I'm gonna have to watch that uh tonight i suppose but um all right let's wrap this thing up here because i think we're at uh I don't know. This might be the longest. Yeah, Yeah. this might be the long one of the longer ones, but um, I'm going to jump in. So this, this one was tough for me, at least in the beginning. I got to give it a one. I was going to say two, but then I was thinking like, who, like who do I know any person who I would try and like recommend this to or end up like passing this off and being like, Hey dude, you should definitely try and read this. Like if you're into this, you should like this. The only people I can think of who would be like somewhat into vampires, like my wife, she like, she loves twilight. She would hate this. Like, I don't, right. I, I don't yeah. know who that person is. Like, I don't know who the person who is like thinking about picking this up or like, uh, I don't know, man, like I've been reading some Stevenson or like, I, I, I'm, I'm like, yeah. like really into the Gothic stuff. Yeah. Where they at stand up. If, uh, if that is you, uh, please do not hesitate to email, uh, contact the pod, uh, let, let you know, reach out to us, let us know your thoughts, but I don't know, man, this was a, this is a hard one or maybe not a hard one, but it's a solid one. I think that's all very fair. I can't I can't really get around any of those criticisms. I'm going with two. I did enjoy the density of it. And I think, again, it sh- had this been a an analysis podcast, essentially, though, you know, we, we get into it. But it, if that had been the sole objective was like, you know, wh- what is this in terms of the history of Gothic literature? What is it? What does it mean? What are the intriguing elements of it? How does it work? I, I think that would almost push it to a three because I did enjoy thinking about it. But I think it's just, you know, as something to pick up and read, 
you know, if your goal, it just depends on your goals, I suppose. I'm going with two. I think it's safe that way, too. I, I can't say every person listening should read it. So for that reason, I think that's still my qualification for a three, which is just it doesn't matter who you are. Read this. Right. I don't think it reaches those heights. And I definitely think this is a one if you come in like I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer or like you mentioned, Twilight, mm-hmm. or True Blood, which was that really horny Showtime show. Like I just yeah. don't think. If, if the vampire genre we've gotten in the last 20 or 30 years intrigues you, I don't think this is going to do much, if anything, for you. Yeah. Like I kind of mentioned at the very beginning, you have to kind of know what gothic literature, especially from that Victorian period, is like. And if you're accustomed to it or curious, yeah, I'd say go for it. But no, I think it's just it was just a, a dense text with lots to poke at. And yeah, I mean, I always enjoy that, I think, in, in certain ways. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I say it every week, but I feel like there are good, there are good parts in here. Like there's, uh, there's like little snippets, bits and pieces where, yeah, you you read it a couple times, and you're like, man, that's a really solid like couple sentences, or that's a great paragraph. But I mean, as a whole, it just it didn't do enough for me. Yeah, yeah, and that's completely fair. It's pretty. Uh, hopefully, the quotes demonstrated the density or the sort of uh, layering that's going on. Yeah. It's a lot to ask for a 2019 reader. Mm. Ryan, what are we doing next week for episode 20? A nice eh, kind of a cozy milestone, I guess. Yeah. Cozy milestone. We are officially a quarter of the way. Well, after next week, we'll be officially one quarter of the way through the, uh, the little black classics. Uh, we got a <laughs> we got a good one coming up next week, and I'm not I'm not I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying good as in you've probably heard of it before. I definitely have not read it, but we have Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels' The Communist Manifesto. We're taking a hard left. Yeah, one of the most important things written in the last two hundred years. <laughs> they, cho- they chose wisely in their collection. Yeah, and we've got uh, we've got some we've got some other good stuff planned. Um, we're gonna try and get some get some like some user generated content. Some uh, some people want to write in. We've got some we've got some different things planned. We've got yeah. I know we're working. We kind of got like a secret little episode planned. Um, right, right. But I, I don't know, man. I'm really looking forward to this one. I think we're going to be able to have some fun with it. And uh, dude, 20, 20 episodes down or 19 right. episodes down. Nearly 20 and 61 to go as of right now. Hey, well on our way. Hey, man, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're cruising. We're also both just outright ignoring the fact that the podcast will die after this 20th episode <laughs> because Ryan and his wife are expecting a child. I think this is the elephant in the room that uh, we'll have to bring that. We'll have to address that in a later podcast. Maybe yeah. we'll, see, we'll see what happens to the show. I'm excited. That child will be here before this podcast comes to a swift end, but yeah, yeah it's just going to be an interesting, uh, we're just adding another layer to the complications and I'm not going to dwell on it too much, but this is a bi-coastal uh, right. situation where I think we've talked about it a little bit, but the challenges of recording on the East Coast and the West Coast, that presents its own unique set of challenges. Uh, we, I'm just adding another insanely complicated challenge into right. the logistics of this podcast. So I do look forward to recording this even later than we already are. Even <laughs> and that's it's, it's either we start recording a lot later on your end or it's going to be like 
five o'clock in the morning my time and it's just gonna yeah, it's turning me, it, it's turning I'm into a morning breakfast. podcast yeah this yeah. It, instead of after dinner it could be an after breakfast thing which right. you know that could uh that could that could make its own uh that could be its own interesting backstory so you could yeah, just stick stick with it uh, next week, the the Communist Manifesto it's coming up. The, a lot right. of a lot of things to look forward to, including all of the unique challenges that accompany this podcast. But um, yeah, in between now and then, we'll see you between the classics. 